Judges 17 is where we're going to be this morning, and this is what it says. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, the 1100s of pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image, image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, there was a young man in Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you very much for coming. I'm glad you joined us this morning for worship at Christ Fellowship. Will you please bow with me before we get started? Father, we're grateful for your word. Lord, your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Lord, often we can go to your word and find exactly what we need to do. This passage, however, this morning is going to show us exactly what not to do. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn from the mistakes of your people over the years. Lord, help us to learn from them so that we don't repeat them. Lord, your word is such a wonderful treasure for us of not only gifts of truth walk in this way my child but lord also gifts of truth saying warning don't do this father please help us this morning to be convinced of the truth and convicted of our sins and lord maybe even for some of us converted in our hearts and i pray this in christ's perfect name amen well thank you again for coming and um I'm just so thankful for the music time this morning. Just so rich and good. Thank you, brother, so much for being obedient to the Lord and sharing your gift with us. Um, and it's an encouragement to all of us, I think, to use the gifts that God's given us as a part of the body. I mean, to just think if we didn't have Seth to lead us in worship and just think if we didn't have others to use their giftings. I mean, we would be incomplete. And so use your gifts for the Lord and his purpose and his church. While you're here on earth. That's what he's given them to you for. Well, this message this morning, um, I'm excited to preach it because it's going to show us some very clear things as to when we know 
it's bad. I titled the message this morning, this is when you know it's bad. How can you tell when a society has abandoned God's truth and therefore is under God's curse? How can you tell when a, a people have embraced a, a counterfeit of what's right and have begun to believe a lie? What signs will there be? Don't you love it when things are just so clear and someone can say to you, when you see this, this, and this, then you know this. That's why we even go to doctors, because they say, oh, I'm, I'm seeing these symptoms, therefore, I know what your problem is, therefore, take this medicine. It's very clear sometimes what the problem is and what symptoms there are going to be that help us to diagnose the main problem. And that's what we find today. What should we look for to know if our society has sunk to the point that the people of Israel had during the time of the judges. I'm going to give you three signs um, today, three things that we're going to look for that are going to show us how do we know when things are really bad? How do we know when the people have abandoned their God and are actually under his curse? We're entering in a totally new portion of the book of Judges this morning. Look at this outline that I created for you all, using other resources too. To help me with this, I didn't just pull this all out. I'm, I'm not that creative or that good at almost anything. So I, I, I borrowed a lot and then, and then made this. But the book of Judges is really broken up into three parts. You can see verses and chapters, rather, one and two, deal with losing Israel. What do I mean? Well, they didn't completely push the Canaanites out of the promised land like they were supposed to. And then chapter two gives us uh, a summation of the sin cycle that they are going to go through again and again throughout the book. So chapters 1 and 2 really say this is, this is why Israel started losing things and really lost it as a nation. They became, and, and why they're going to become like the Canaanites, because they basically let the Canaanites stay. They didn't push them out. Then chapters 3 through 16 deal with the leaders of Israel, all the judges. And we see that, uh, you know, the first three, Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, they're pretty good. Then we go to Gideon, and he's okay. Then we go to Jephthah, he's bad. And then we end with Samson, and, and he's even worse. This, we're supposed to notice this gradual downgrade, which we do. Then the section that we're about to enter into, chapters 17 through 21, deal with the life of Israel. So we go losing Israel, leaders of Israel, and now we're going to be looking at the life of Israel. There's a clear distinction once you get into chapter 17. You say, oh, this is reading differently. There's no mention of a judge. It's just mention of how the people are. And so this last section is all about what life in Israel was like during the time of the judges. It's agreed upon by most scholars of this book that this is not necessarily in chronological order. It's not after Samson died, now all this stuff started taking place. More than likely, this is a kind of a summation of what life was like during the time of the judges. And more than likely during one of the times of peace, because we're going to see towards the end of the book of Judges, unfortunately, there's like the civil war that breaks out. And it would have been impossible for civil war to break out among the people of Israel if they were still dominated by some sort of power, the Philistines or the Amalekites. They wouldn't have allowed them to enter into a civil war. So this is probably during the times of peace under the judges. What was life just like? That's what we're going to see. That's what we're going to see. So 
the failure, ultimately, to drive out the Canaanites from the land leads to Israel becoming like the Canaanites. And that's what we're supposed to see in this book. We start off with, they didn't drive out the Canaanites. And you end with, so they became like the Canaanites. We're supposed to see that as we read. And what a good lesson for us as well, which we're going to enter into more as we go into this sermon. Because the truth is, if you tolerate worldliness, you will become worldly. And if you don't kill sin by the Spirit, sin will kill you. And we're supposed to see that in this book. So let's get right into the message and into this new section of Judges. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me again. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. He said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And the mother says, Blessed be my son by the Lord. He restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. His mother dedicates it to the Lord, makes this carved image from some of the silver. Now, huge problem here. This man steals and is rewarded for it. What are parents supposed to do when it comes to their children walking in sin? Well, the Bible is very clear. Proverbs 13, 24, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: 15, Folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod of reproof gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And that's just three. There, the Bible is replete, especially the book of Proverbs, with the fact that we're supposed to discipline our children. Micah's mother should have felt shame instead of joy when her son returns this stolen silver to her. The fact that she's so backwards in her response to him, returning this money to her, leads me to believe she was probably also backwards in how she raised him and how she disciplined him as he grew up because she returns this money, he returns this money and she says, may God be praised. Good job, son. Let's, let's do something to reward you. She essentially rewards her son for stealing from her. When he admits to wronging her, he receives a reward because to her, sin isn't serious. And that's the number one way we know that there's a problem in our society. That's the number one way we know that it's bad is when sin isn't serious. The first sign of how you know it's bad in a society, how you know it's bad for a people is when they don't take sin seriously. They don't take sin seriously individually. And so when sin in the home isn't serious, sin isn't serious in a society because the home affects the society. The state of the home directly affects the state of the land, doesn't it? Which is why we're seeing so many problems in our day too. Because the home has been broken down in so many ways. When sin isn't serious to an individual, then sin isn't serious in a society. Because a society is made up of individuals. So the mother was negligent in her responsibility to discipline her son. And you might say, 
Well, I see what you're saying, Cohen. I see your point. But the mother is simply trying to um, reward her son for his honesty. Don't you see that, Cohen? She's, she's saying, good for you, son. You were honest. I'm going to reward you. Okay, but not before she disciplines his son, her son for his wrongdoing. Granted, he was a grown man at this point. But it's very likely that mother was living with him. It's pretty common in a society like that back in that day. It's actually sort of like that in a lot of places where um, society isn't as developed as it is in our culture. We were missionaries, as you guys know, and uh, it was very common sometimes even to have mother living, if not with you, very close beside you. It's just how it is in a lot of places in the world. It's not always a good thing. That's how it is in a lot of places in the world. So it's likely that mom was living with Micah and his family, possibly. Though he was a grown man, and she couldn't discipline him with the rod anymore, still, he needed to submit to his mother's discipline in some way because she was the wronged party in this case. Parents, you want to create reprobate children? who bring shame to your home and anguish to your heart, let their sin slide. Let their sin slide. Don't hold them accountable for their wrongdoing. Don't hold them accountable to the word of God. Give them a reward even when they haven't done what they were told to do and show them that sin isn't serious and you'll create children just like Micah who will steal from you, even as a grown man. Do that, and you'll be just like the world, just like Israel was becoming more and more like the Canaanites. The further and further they got away from the word of God, the closer and closer they became like the world. Didn't they? We see that very clear in this book. We're supposed to see that. And it's true. It's true for us. The further and further we get away from the truth, the more and more we become like the world. This is not anything new. You're not hearing anything new from my mouth today. We're just seeing it on display. We're seeing it in a house. We get to, as it were, be a a camera entering into what this home life is like for the average person in Israel. And it's not good. The truth is, I believe the only reason that Micah even returned this money is because of the curse he heard his mom utter over the thief who stole it. That's what I think. I don't think Micah was pricked in his conscience by the Lord. I don't think he thought, you know what? It's horribly wrong to do what I did. Lord, you're right. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. This is a horrible thing. I repent of my wrongdoing. Mother, here is the money. I don't think that was the case. I don't think he wanted salvation for his soul. I believe he just wanted to save his own skin. The fact that Micah would steal money in the first place is not good, right? I used to be a thief. I was actually fired from one of my jobs for stealing when I was a teenager. It's a good thing I put that part in, right? Well, your former pastoral job? No, no. When I was a teenager. And that's just the time they caught me. 
but I never, ever stole money. For some reason, I thought, well, stealing money is really bad. I'll steal all this other stuff from the grocery store where I was working, but don't ever steal money. That's, that's super bad. So even among thieves, there's sort of this level of, oh my gosh, you steal money? So it's, it's bad enough that Micah steals money. It's not good. The fact that he would steal this amount of money is even worse. 1,100 pieces of silver. Remember when he's talking to the Levite? And he says, if you'll stay with me, I'll give you, what did he say? 10 pieces of silver a year, your clothing and your lodging. And the Levite thinks that's a good deal. 10 pieces of silver a year? Okay. And, and, a, and clothes? And I can stay with you. And what did he steal from his grandmother? I mean, his mother, rather? 1,100! Mom was wealthy. She'd been storing this up for a long time, maybe to pass down to family or something. I don't know. 1,100. This was a large sum of money. This would be the equivalent of possibly you stealing half a million dollars from mother or grandmother, whoever it is. This is a large sum of money. So the fact that he would steal money in the first place is not good. The fact that he would steal this amount of money is even worse. The fact that he would steal this amount of money from his own mother is completely detestable. What a wicked man. Shame on Micah. He is a fool. A horrible man. You would not want him in your home. This is the type of society Israel has become. This chapter is supposed to shock us This is Israel. And look how they're acting, just like the pagans. This is how bad the average home life had gotten, and the state of the home affects the state of the land. You want America to be godly? Make your home godly. You want to affect change in this world? Have a godly home. That's what's going to create change. I know the truth is we look around at a lot of the youth and it's not always very encouraging. (laughs) State of the youth in our day. And we say, boy, they need to, they need to shape up. Yes, sometimes that is the case. But sometimes it's their parents that need to shape up. Sometimes their parents need a spanking more than the children do. How would Micah get to this point where he could break, basically, half of the Ten Commandments all at once. He didn't love the Lord as God more than anything. He, he loved money more than anything. He, he dishonored his father and mother by stealing from her. He, he coveted her money. He lied because he was deceptive, and he stole I mean, five of the Ten Commandments all at once, probably more if we get a little bit technical. How did he get to this point? I'll tell you how. The holy law of God wasn't before his eyes, The holy law of God wasn't being recited in his ears because the holy law of God wasn't honored in his home. It was absent in his home. And that's how it got to this point. It never found its way into his heart because it wasn't in his home. If the word of God isn't in your home, it's rare that it'll find its way into your heart. But thank the Lord, he does miraculous things. We've all heard stories of some child that was raised in a horrible environment being invited to church, and the child gets saved. And sometimes even through the child, the parents get saved. So we know God can do anything. 
We know he can do absolutely anything. But we know that we're also told in scriptures, in the scriptures as, as parents, to pass down the truth to our children. Diligently, we're told, even. Listen to what Warren Wearsby said. Because Micah and his family didn't submit to the authority of God's word, their home was a place of religious and moral confusion. But their home was a good deal like many homes today, where money is the God the family worships, where children steal from their parents and lie about what they do, where family honor is unknown, and where the truth is unwanted. Television provides all the images the family will ever worship, and few worry about, thus saith the Lord. Very well said. Warren Wearsby, very, very well said. And he said that roughly 20 years ago. So number one, you know when it's bad in a society when sin isn't serious. What's the number two way you can know things are bad in a society? Let's talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about that as we cover verses 4 through 12. Verses 4 through 12. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took the 200 pieces of silver, gave it to the silversmith, made an image. And it was in the house with Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine that he had made and an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons to become his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Then verses 7 through 12 tell us all about this Levite. He's leaving his land. He travels to Ephraim where Micah is. Micah finds him. Hey, who are you? What are you doing? Oh, I'm just trying to travel and see who will ever, who will take me? Oh, you're a Levite? Please stay with me. I'll give you this, this, and this. Deal? And he says, deal. I'll stay with you. And they become like family, it says. Micah was a very religious man. Did you pick up on that? He's wicked, but Micah is very religious. Did you see that? We often think that the worst thing for a nation or its people would be that they all become atheists. Granted, atheism is evil. Atheism is very bad. And yes, it would lead to the destruction of a nation. I do believe that. We think that's often the worst possible thing that could happen to a nation. Because, well, it's true that the Bible says in the Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Right? So it's definitely a foolish thing to believe that there is no God. But did you know that it's possible for a nation to be very religious and also be very bad? Just a, a quick reading of this book would show you that. They were very religious in a lot of ways. During the time of the judges even, it was just with other gods. Read any of the prophets in the Old Testament, almost any of them. Some of them go to Gentiles, I get that. But you'll see that the nations, I mean, uh, the nation of Israel rather, was very religious at certain times. It was just not to the one true God. They had mixed things in and destroyed the truth. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're in a good state before God. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're in a good state before the one true God. Why is that? Well, it's because of this. Listen to this. All other religions on planet Earth that do not originate from the Word of God and follow the Word of God are false religions. I'll say it again. All other religions on planet earth that do not originate from the word of God and follow the word of God are false religions. And though I'd be socially hanged 
for saying such a thing in our day and labeled a hater in our day for saying such a thing. The truth is, that's the most loving thing I could say because it is so very true. It's so true. It cuts right through all the noise and gets you right to the truth. So it's actually the most loving thing I could say to you because it points you to the one true God. How? How does it point you to the one true God? Because of what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is very exclusive. Don't ever apologize for the exclusivity of the gospel, ever. What does that mean, children? Exclusivity. It means there's one way. You can only get it here. That's what it means, that something's exclusive. There's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ, the way that he made for us in sending his son Jesus into this world, born of the Virgin Mary, perfectly kept the law on our behalf, which is great news because we're law breakers. He's the law keeper. He also shed his blood and died on our behalf to take the wrath that should be ours as lawbreakers. And he was buried and he rose again, showing also that he defeated our old enemy, death. Death is an enemy. Death is an enemy to us. It is an intruder. It was not originally here. It was brought on by our sin. And Jesus rising from the dead shows that he defeats death even. He takes the punishment for our sins, keeps the law on our behalf, and defeats our great enemy, which is death, which all men fear until they come to know Jesus Christ. They don't fear death now because we know we have a home in heaven. Like Paul says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have a sure hope that if someone's in Christ, forgiven of his sins or her sins, they have a home in heaven. Why? Because their sin isn't keeping them out anymore. Jesus Christ made the way, and according to him, he's the way, the only way. And so, yes, all other religions that do not originate from the word of God and follow the word of God are false religions. When it comes to how religious Micah was, what do we see from Micah and his family here? A lot of things that show they're very religious. They use the right name. They use the holy name Yahweh. Look at this in verse 2. At the very end of verse 2, when he returns the stolen money to his mother, mother, what does she say? Blessed be my son by the Lord. Look at your Bible there at the word Lord. Do you see that it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? Does it come up that way on this one up here? Let me see the text. No, it doesn't. Uh, That's not bad, but it's not totally accurate. Bring your Bibles. You'll see it for yourself. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What does that mean? That's the translator's way of giving us a clue that this word here is actually the word Yahweh, where it's capital L, lowercase o-r-d. That's the word, um, what is it? Thank you, Adonai. Very good. We have a scholar in our midst. Thank the Lord. See, we need the body. That's the word Adonai, which also means Lord, which also refers to God, but it's not that holy covenant name of God. She uses the right words. That's my point. She uses the name 
Yahweh. Blessed be my son by Yahweh. So she's using the right words. Very religious woman. Micah recognizes the, important, the importance of things like the ephod. What's the ephod? It's that square that the high priest would wear on his chest. They also used it in some way we don't know. We're not told in the scriptures how they used it to discern the will of God. We don't know how, but we do know that they would sometimes use it to discern the will of God. It's sort of a mystery. Period. The end. We just don't know. But he also sees the importance of things like an ephod. This thing that the high priest wore. And he recognized the, the importance of, of Levites being priests. Do you see that? He knows that the Levites were priests, the priests of old. So they're very religious. And they've even got some things sort of accurate. The problem is that he invents the sacred himself, though. That's the number two thing is when you know it's bad is when self invents the sacred number one was sin isn't serious number two self invents the sacred he says that in verse five it says that he himself made the ephod and the household gods and he sets up images and shrines himself verse 12 also tells us that he appoints this priest himself Points his son originally, then he points this priest, and he's all he's doing it all himself. How sacred can it be when you make it with your own hands? How sacred can it be when you make it with your own hands? When you cause your religion to happen by your own skill or by your own money, you create your own religion. When you create your religion with your own skills or with your own money, you're creating your own religion. And that's exactly what Micah was doing. He was really good at it too. He said, oh, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this shrine here. I'm going to put this thing here. Son, you're now my priest. Oh, a Levite, that's even better. Levite, you're now my priest. And he's created his own religion. And we look at Micah and we say, yeah, what an idiot, right? Wow, this guy, what a dummy. Who, who would ever do that? Lots of people. All the time. All over planet Earth. Just ask people. Ask people. I'm telling you right now. When you get bold enough to actually talk about Jesus to people, and when you get bold enough to ask them why they believe what they believe about certain things, of course in a loving way. I'm not saying be a jerk about it. But when you get bold enough to say, why do you believe that? Oh, where'd you get that from? You know what, you know what I found? Because I've talked to a lot of people about Truth, the Bible, their beliefs. Experience equals truth for a lot of people. Experience equals truth. Well, I, I just think this, or well, I had a feeling about this, or one day when I was here, this happened at the same time. Isn't that miraculous? It just so happened, and wow. So therefore, that's why I know it's true. And nothing's ever tested against what the Word of God says. It's just all these notions get added up on top of each other and this layer of notions and experience become your belief system and it's a house of cards it blows over with the smallest wind because it's false and it's man-made and when the word of god comes in like a wrecking ball can a house of cards stand against a wrecking ball absolutely not the house of cards falls so easily because it's man-made 
John MacArthur says this, any nation, an association of human beings that constitute a culture, if they turn away from the truth and unrighteousness, will receive the wrath of God. Any nation that turns against the truth of God's word is going to receive the wrath of God, is what he's saying. That's the point here. That's why we see chapter 17. That's what chapter 17 is supposed to be showing us. Chapter 17 is supposed to shock us and make us say, goodness gracious, these are Israelites? <laughs> They're acting like Canaanites. Exactly. Why? Why'd they get to this low state? They turned away from the word of God. They were under his wrath. This just came to me. Let me read this one second. We all love John 3.16, right? Talks about how loving God is. And he is. He's so loving to send his son. He's also a God of wrath as well, though. We find in John 3.16 our favorite verse about God's love. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse. Praise Jesus for it. Just 20 verses later, same chapter, same book, same conversation. Verse 36 of John 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Same chapter, John 3. Same conversation with Nicodemus up on the roof. We hear about the wrath of God as well for those who don't obey the Son. The truth is, it doesn't matter how serious someone is in his worship if he's sincerely worshiping the wrong God. It doesn't matter how sincere someone is in his worship if he's sincerely worshiping the wrong God, right? In our worship, it's possible to be sincere and be sincerely wrong. It is. Is that popular? No. But like Paul if I was trying to win the praise of men, I would not please God. Let me just tell you right now, do not get in the ministry if you want to please men. If you have a tendency in you to be a, what they call a yes man, kind of just say yes to everything. If you don't like confrontation, don't get in the ministry. If you have a tendency to please man, don't get in the ministry. You will be a bad leader. But let me tell you this also as some encouragement for those of you who might want to get in the ministry. And by the way, you're all in the ministry in one way though, aren't you? Because you're all in the kingdom, advancing the kingdom of God through your gifts. But let me just encourage some of you though, that God can grow you and shape you and bend you and mold you to be more like his dear son, Jesus Christ. He can do that. He does that. He does that. Aren't you glad for that? That God changes men and makes them more like Jesus Christ. Oh, what, why would we even keep going if that wasn't true? Don't ever listen to this lie. I'll never change. I've always been this way. No, that's false. That's a lie. God can change you. Did you hear what I said, church? You need to listen to me right now. God can change you. He can do it. Don't limit God. He's limitless. And he came to save you, so he'll also change you. That's good news. 
Micah, unfortunately, didn't have this resolve to stand on the truth. No matter what good ministers do, he instead tried to invent truth to suit his likings. And what did it produce? It produced a man who was willing to steal from his own mother. Though Micah's religion possessed aspects of what was true inwardly, it was blatantly false because it was totally man-made. So how do you know it's bad in a society, number one, when sin isn't serious? Number two, when self creates the sacred? And number three, lastly, when superstition supersedes Scripture. Children, the word supersede means like uh, goes above, takes authority over. So when superstition takes authority over the Bible, that's what I'm basically saying. When superstition supersedes Scripture. Look at verse 13, the, the last verse of this chapter. Then Micah said, Now I know the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as priest. Superstition is when we attribute some type of uh, supernatural benefit to an object or a practice. Uh, superstition, superstitious beliefs, hold to the notion that actions or events, actions or events, they can be ominous in some way. Ominous means like something bad's about to happen. Actions or events, they can be ominous in some way and, and, and therefore... I've got to do something uh, to, to ward off this bad thing that, that, that just might come upon me. Or sometimes they also take the act of, I need to do this in order for this good thing to happen to me. Um, and superstitions abound. You're probably thinking of some in your head right now. Of course, the old ones that we all know, black cat crossing your path, walking under a ladder, breaking a mirror, things like that. I don't really know anybody who actually puts very much weight in those uh, but some people do, I think. But they are in every culture, and in some more than others. When we were missionaries, you would see these little babies with uh, a red uh, string around their wrist. You'd see it a lot, even among the people that went to church. And I asked, what's that about? Or I heard from someone, I forget which came first. But they believe in something in Belize called the evil eye. They believe someone can look at you, like I'm looking at Brandon right now. And I could sort of force some sort of evil into his life. It's called the evil eye. And they believe that if you put this red string on the wrist of a baby, it would ward off the evil eye. Should anyone try to look at your baby with the evil eye, the red string would keep that from happening. They also had a belief among the, um, a people group there, the um, Garifuna people. They were from African descent. They would put uh, salt in the shape of a cross on their window seal, and that would keep evil spirits from coming into their house. Lots of different superstitions we have. We look at those and we say, those are ridiculous. Never do that. What holiday is it that I forget? We're supposed to eat greeny vegetables and black-eyed peas on. What is that one? New Year's, okay. How many of you do that? Uh, oh, a few raised their hand. They're so honest. What about wearing 
Aren't you supposed to wear white shoes or something on a certain time of year? Certain Sunday or something. I forget. There's, there's some time where you're supposed to wear some white shoes or something like that. We have in our... Now, I don't think many people actually put much stock in that, but some do. I'm telling you right now, some do. Some people say, you better eat leafy greens and black eyed peas on that day or you won't get... It's forgetting money, right? Yeah, there we go. It's forgetting money. Um... The truth is, some of it's just for fun. I know that. But let me ask you this. Does it bother you that I'm about to do this? Did you know I've never been in a car accident that I caused? I've been in a car when someone wrecked once, but I've never been in a car wreck. Now, what am I supposed to do now? Knock wood, right? I'm supposed to say that, right? I'm telling you right now, I knew a dude once. He was like, this has never happened. Knock wood. And he's like, he started running around looking for wood to hit. I'm telling you, he did. He found some wood or at least particle board. And he said, I guess this counts. We do that. Superstitions. And we're smiling about it because we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I sort of do that too sometimes. Or some people knock their heads, right? They say knock wood just for fun. But does it actually bother you if you don't do certain things at certain times in order to either get good luck or, or ward off bad luck or something like that? Does it at all? Well, you're following, you're falling into something, whether you know it or not, that can actually be damaging. And I'm not trying to be like extremely, like don't ever eat leafy greens. I'm not trying to be that way. But what I am trying to say is there's a danger in this. There, there really, really is uh, a danger in this because if we, basically, I'm trying to say this, superstition can either take away from the Bible or add to the Bible. Um, superstitious beliefs can either take away or add, because if you put any weight at all into some type of superstition, you're either believing that God's word isn't enough Revelation. Why is it not enough revelation? Because you're saying, here's something we need to do in order to be prosperous that God didn't reveal to us. Here's something that someone has told me about that you've got to do in order for things to go good for you. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think God's word needs to be added to? Do you think he left anything out? that you need? No. So why would you think that there's something that you have to do in order to get some kind of prosperity or protection that he didn't tell you about? Secondly, you're either believing that there's more truth that we need, or number two, you're believing that God's word isn't totally true. Believing you have the ability to affect blessings upon your life because a physical object is with you. First of all, that's just silly, of course, but blessings don't come to you based on whether or not you're wearing a cross necklace, or maybe you're wearing an angel necklace, or if you've got an angel statue in your car, or maybe you keep a Bible with you in your car because you think, oh, I've got this Bible in my car, and now I'm, I'm, I'm more protected, or maybe a statue of Mary or something like that. Do you really think, do you really think that God looks at that and says, oh, she's wearing a cross necklace. 
I think I'll let good things happen to her today. Oh, she has an angel statue in her car. You know, you know what? I'm just going to take my hands off here because the angel statue's got it covered. Don't fall, in, don't fall into that. Please don't. I know someone that totally came to the conclusion that the Bible was false, wrong, just foolishness, and didn't believe that what was actually written here actually held any weight, and you know, the years and all the people and the scholars that have studied these things and studied the ancient um, archaeology of all these events, and he just, just thought that was totally bogus. But then read a little description on Amazon.com about how this necklace with this crystal in it will bring you protection and put his money into it and said, yeah, I, I totally believe this person who will get financial benefit from this. I totally believe what he's telling me after reading this for 30 seconds. I totally believe this crystal necklace will benefit me. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I was just shocked. Just shocked. Thousands of years of <laughs> research authenticating that this is really written by the hands of the apostles. Throw that out the window. <laughs> 30 seconds on Amazon.com. I'm totally convinced. <laughs> oh, it's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Oh, it's crazy. Which just goes to show how backwards our thinking can be, how deceived we can be when we start to go away from the Word of God and start to believe the lies of the world and the superstitious. If you're looking to an object, you're not looking to God. If you're looking to an object... You're not looking to God and therefore you take away from his word because his word says the name of the Lord's a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Superstitions distract us from the truth. And that's just the truth of it. Superstitions distract us from the truth. They either make us think I've got to add to the word of God or they take away from the word of God because it's not believing what the word of God says. The Lord Jesus never gave his followers a physical possession for their safety or protection or well-being in any way. Did he? He never said, let me tell you these truths about God. Now also, here's this thing I carved for you. And if you keep it in your pocket, nothing bad will happen to you. Don't worry about the Romans because you've got that wooden thing in your pocket that I carved for you with my own hands. Did he ever do that? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. And I'm going to tell you right now, it actually borrows a lot from the Eastern religions. Good luck, bad luck, all these things. It's very Eastern religion. And it's just something else to distract us from the truth, to make us trust in this instead of the one true God. Superstition supersedes Scripture. Micah believed that the physical presence of a Levite meant God would prosper him. I've got a Levite, an actual bona fide Levite. And what he was totally missing was the fact that the Word of God tells him everything he needs to know to receive God's blessing. It's not based on what you possess or don't possess. It's based on who you know, the one true God. 
How did it go for Israel when they began mixing the elements of the Canaanite religions and their belief? How did it go for Israel when they started mixing elements of the Canaanite religion with their own beliefs? How's that working out for you, Israel? Not so good. You want to you, you wanna shock? You want something that's PG-13 or even R? Read the last two chapters of the book of Judges. That's how bad it got for the people of Israel. It is shocking what goes down in those last chapters. I'm even still wondering how I'm going to cover those last two chapters when I preach them to you all. I don't even want to. It's horrible. There would be a parental advisory before it. I mean, this is how it's going for the people of Israel. So what's the remedy for a nation, a society, or a home when we see these three characteristics? When sin isn't serious, when self produces the sacred, and when um, superstition is, supersedes Scripture. What's, what's the remedy? Well, it's simple. Thank the Lord. It is so simple. The Word of God. Return to the Word of God. It's pure and it's perfect and in it, we have all that we need for life and godliness. It is the treasure of your life. And the return on investment is out of this world. It is incredible. Church, return to the word. Return to the word. Father, we're grateful for your word. It's true. It's right. It's perfect in all of its ways. I pray, give us grace to walk in it. Help us to see the errors of not taking sin seriously. Please keep us from ever trying to create the sacred in our own life. It's not based on anything from your word. Lord, keep us from the foolish superstitions of this world that have no meaning in anything that's based on reality or truth. Lord, they abound in every culture and they even contradict themselves culture to culture. So, Father, please help us to stand on the one who never contradicts himself, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, your precious Son. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.